Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we are positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes me, Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training, which is a remote online training business. I'm joined by Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series about building relationships. As mentioned in part one, in 2017, Marissa wrote a book titled The Human-Canine Behavior Connection, A Better Self Through Dog Training. In this book, she explores her favorite topic, relationships. One of the relationships she explores, which is the most obvious one, is with your canine. However, she also explores the not-so-obvious. Marissa claims that our relationship with our dogs is a window into how we relate to the world around us, especially in our human relationships. In part one, we explored Marissa's first three relationship-building principles, which are curiosity, acceptance, and compassionate communication. So what are we going to be exploring today, Marissa? Yeah, so today we'll be exploring the next three principles. The first one is support and co-creation. The second is developing and maintaining trust. And lastly, celebration. So we're going to dive in today with the first one, and that's support and co-create. So what I mean when I say support and co-create is to see the world through your partner's lens. And that includes having an understanding and a respect of what the individual may need or desire. And this is the hard part, guys, even when it conflicts with what you may need or desire in your life. So I think it's just as important to have that same understanding and awareness of your needs as an individual and as a partner within your relationships. Sometimes our needs or desires match with our canine. For example, getting outside, getting exercise, being social, leaning in for touch and interaction. However, many times our needs do not match with our canine. For example, getting home from work, exhausted from the day while your high energy herding breed just stares at you with the leash in his or her mouth and, or possibly even the ball. Oftentimes in my private practice, I experience our relationships can be one sided with our canines. People have a tendency to focus on what they need without thinking about what their canine needs. Um, not only can our expectations be very unrealistic, like asking a puppy to never mouth the first few months of his or her life. Um, they can also be human focused instead of canine focused. So for example, I once had a client where their dog was digging every chance she got. The clients wanted to punish the dog for this behavior. It took some convincing, but they finally understood that that behavior was a normal expression of canine behavior. And so what we did instead is we, we gave the dog an outlet to express that behavior by installing a sand pit in the backyard. Um, and so we met the dog's need. We said, Hey, we, we understand that you want to dig because you are a dog and that's a natural dog behavior. However, I'd appreciate it if you didn't do it in my flower beds, if you could do it in this, in this pool or the sand pit over here, that would be ideal. So the bottom line is we just have to meet each other halfway. And I'm not just talking about our canines. I'm also talking about our friends, families, colleagues, and loved ones. So Kayla, I know that you meet Barley halfway. So talk to us a little bit about your needs and his needs in your relationship. Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things that I'm hearing as I'm as you're kind of talking about this is I was just listening to the Biz Chicks podcast. So shout out to them. It's B-I-Z-C-H-I-X. And they just had a marriage counselor on and she was talking about the platinum rule and what she called 
um, or what she called the platinum rule was basically the idea of doing unto others what they would do unto themselves, not doing unto others what you would have done unto you. And that's kind of the idea. uh, Yeah. And this is something I talk about with my own partner as well. Um, We talk about the fact that, you know, if I don't like the music he's playing, I will tell him Mm -hmm. um, and ask him to switch it. And he would rather if I just kind of dealt with it and you know the musical change in four minutes yeah (laughs) um and we constantly have this discussion of um i would rather if he just told me what if if i was playing music he didn't like um because i'll change it it's not a big deal and Mm -hmm. he would rather that i don't say anything and just kind of let it let the music run out and we're still working through the fact that what I would have what I would like him to do to me and what he would like me to do to him are not the same thing. And this yeah. relates back to our dogs as well because you know I mean obviously my dog has different needs than I do in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I would really rather not have my food placed on the floor. Um and as far as I know Barley would rather not be using a knife and fork. <laughs> so there are times when we realize that and then there are times where I think it's harder for us to get that. And um, one of the big things that I think kind of relates back to this as well is the idea of getting a dog that fits your lifestyle and fits Mm -hmm. your needs. So I'm a really type A person. I run marathons. I've been super duper active my whole life. And when I was looking for a dog, I knew that was going to be something that was important to me. I'm also a trainer. So I knew I wanted a dog who enjoyed engaging with training. Mm -hmm. And I spent a really long time looking while I worked at DFL until this really lovely border collie came up. And part of the reason I got Barley is because I don't really have to meet him halfway as much with his exercise and mental stimulation um, the way that his previous owner did. His previous owner had three kids and worked 70 or 80 hours a week or something crazy like that and was out on the weekends doing other stuff and just really didn't have the time for Barley. And it was really, really hard for that owner to meet Barley's needs. And Mm -hmm. um, it kind of showed with how Barley was really fat when I adopted it. And I'm not blaming that owner at all. Um, (laughs) But it's so much easier for me to meet Barley's needs because Mm -hmm. my needs and his needs intersect in a really, really nice way. Um, And, you know, the same like when I was looking for dogs, you know, I sure I think I think papillons are adorable, but I really wanted a dog that I could take off leash hiking um, and trail running and a little teeny tiny papillon is probably not the best partner for that. I'm going to get it eaten by a coyote and I'm going to be very upset. Even though they're so cute. Um, <laughs> oh my God. They're so cute. The, the so Westminster agility cute. just, I've got papillon fever right now. <laughs> um, and with that, you know, it's not the best idea probably to adopt a working Aussie. If you work 12 hour days with your commute, you've got young kids, you spend your weekends coaching soccer, unless you've got a lot of spare money, um, really to, to hire someone to help you with that dog, totally. you're going to find yourself really struggling to meet that dog's needs, even if you're kind of figuring out how to meet them halfway. And that's sometimes meeting them halfway means Barley would probably really like to go for a four hour hike. But what we're going to do is we're going to throw the Frisbee in the backyard. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I remember when I adopted Sully, all I knew was that I wanted a male and I wanted a black lab mix from the shelter. Like I had no, this was 10 years ago. So I had no really cognitive awareness as my first adult dog, or sorry, my first dog as an adult, I had no awareness about what that really meant. I mean, luckily he's, uh, he's 25% Pyrenees. So he does have a little bit more of a casual, um, laid back 
mentality. Like he's not so high energy and high drive, but I just, I didn't think of all of these things or I didn't consider all of these things when adopting him. I just was like, Oh wow, you're, you're aesthetically pleasing and you're, you're very sweet and you're very social and you're adorable. And I've been looking for months and you're, you're the guy, right? You're um, it. <laughs> but, but it, yeah, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think what's the reason why we're, we're talking about identifying your needs as a dog owner, but then while also being respectful to the dog's needs is because we see quite a bit of people get themselves into a, uh, a pickle really, because they, um, I look at them and I say, Oh, wow, we need to increase mental and physical stimulation for your dog. And they look at me and say, I can't do that. And it's up to me as the trainer to really try to understand, well, where can they fit that in? Um, how creative can we get? Could we have a neighborhood teenager walk the dog? Like, like what, what resources are available to us so that we can give the dog what, um, he, you know, what he or she needs just, just to provide a really healthy foundation so that the dog is not rehearsing some of these problematic behaviors. So it's up to us trainers to get creative with what that person has in order to make sure that those guys are, are successful, not only the people, but also the dogs in the home. Absolutely. And one last thing I'll throw in before we move on is that I think a lot of this kind of ties into the idea that there's this myth that it's all in how you raise them. And when mm -hmm. people say that, I think they generally mean, you know, if you get a dog from a young puppy and you raise them right, they're going to be lassie. Um, and that's not true. Yeah. Um, from the first bit. But I think there's also kind of this myth that like, Oh, well, I can adopt a, I know we're harping on the border collies, but um, I can adopt a working border collie. <laughs> and if I raise them in an apartment and I just never really give him a ton of exercise, um, he won't need it as an adult. And I think there's the, the misunderstanding about the behavior stuff in some ways is more understanding, uh, understandable to me. But I think there's also this kind of misunderstanding about dogs' physical needs. And there's kind yeah. of this idea that like, oh, if this dog has never actually lived on a farm and he's always lived in a suburban environment, he's not going to need this physical exercise. And that's just not true. Not um, true. And I, yeah. I think people really think that they, if they raise a puppy from a young age, they can mold it into mm -hmm. whatever personality and exercise needs that they want. And that's just not how it's going to work. Maybe yeah. to some degree, a little bit, but it's things are not super duper movable, especially in those physical needs and mental stimulation needs um, categories. Yeah. I, I really like talking about what dogs need because I think it opens up this conversation to dog owners to, to really pay attention to what they need, not only in the relationship, but also in other relationships. But typically when I talk about this concept in a workshop, people are aware that their dogs need things. And then they are aware that they project a lot of their needs onto their dog. And they sort of like moan and groan when, when we talk about that and they become aware of that. But when we talk about generalizing this into other relationships, people get really uh, freaked out or like, it's just not, we, we're not really taught to express our needs and express our desires from other people. And I, I believe that part of that is, you know, has a lot to do with our independent culture and that asking for what we might need or desire or want in our lives, it, it, it might signify that we are weak and that we cannot do things on our own. Um, and so 
In my experience, I find that most people feel really vulnerable and raw to ask for those things or worse, they've tried it and it was not received well. And now they have a negative association to engage in this behavior. Um, and, and lots of times people will, will wind up pushing this down. So by the time that they wind up asking for what they need, maybe a few weeks or months from now, there's so much built up resentment that it comes out in a way that nobody can really receive um, with grace. And so this often builds a lot of resentment in relationship. And um, I think the answer to this is practicing identifying your needs and your desires um, and, and asking for them, but starting really small and starting when you're not triggered. So we train dogs under emotional thresholds so that learning can take place. And that rule applies to humans. So an example of this might be that I identify that I have a desire that um, my partner joins me at a nose work training session with Sully. And so instead of me um, sitting there and saying, he never joins me and, and the building up all that resentment. And then maybe making a passive aggressive comment about, Oh, well, you're never there for Sully and I, anyway, I might sort of sit, think about this and, and come up with a way to rehearse asking for that desire in a way that is, um, graceful and, and kind and just sharing with him that, Hey, I would love for you to join us tonight. So I think the answer to this is to practice this behavior. And what I mean by that is that we need to start really small and we need to start to ask for what we might need or desire when we're not emotionally triggered. So we as trainers train dogs under emotional thresholds that learning can take place. And that same rule applies to humans. So if I want to ask Scott for something that I might need or desire in the relationship, and I have a hard time doing that, I'm not going to ask him for something that has a lot of emotional trigger behind it. We've had arguments about it. That's not the place to start. The place to start might be, Hey, so I'm really hoping that you would pick up your laundry every day, right? Like, and honestly, for some couples that could actually have a lot of charge behind it. I was going to say um, that however, one sounds like a bad place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but so it's all, all relationships are different and all individuals mm -hmm. are different. I think it's important to, to pay attention that if let's say I wanted Scott to join me for my nose work class with Sully, I could ask him, Hey, I'd really love for you to be a part of this process. What are your thoughts about that do, do you have the same need or desire that I do yeah and I think um you're you bringing up nose work is great because when I you and I were in the same nose work class this uh last winter uh -huh. I guess and yeah. um Andrew came to class with me once and he left and he was just like that was the most boring thing that you've ever made <laughs> me do um and that really, really hurt my feelings at the time. And I was still kind of sad about it. But then later, I started doing a little bit of agility. Um, and I did get Andrew to come to one of those agility practices as well. And he was like, okay, that was fun. Like, I could there, I could watch yeah. that. And at, at some point, hopefully, I'm going to be trialing more with Barley, hopefully in both of those sports. And how, just to circle back to meeting halfway, how I'm going to meet mm -hmm. my partner halfway and how hopefully he's going to meet me halfway is I'm not going to ask him to come to the nose work trials. I'm going to ask him to come to the agility trials. And I'm only going to ask if they're relatively close to wherever we live. I'm not going to ask him to come to the ones that are across, yeah. you know, a five-hour drive away um, unless they're a really big deal for me for some reason. And, you know, we're meeting each mm -hmm. other halfway that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. The halfway piece is super important. And I, you know, I think we were talking about that earlier about, you know, what, what dog you decide to incorporate into your life and making sure that you can meet them halfway. Um, one other thing I want to say about this topic is that you may have noticed that I keep saying the words needs or desire, and this is for several reasons. Um, there are a few things that we really need in life and the rest are desires or wants. And I notice that when I tend to use the word need, I get really grippy and I have a high expectation that that need is met. And I get frustrated with the folks around me that are not meeting those needs. Um, and they also get frustrated with how I deliver that instead of actually asking them and saying, Oh, I have a desire for you to be a, a participant in this activity that might land better with people receiving this information just because we have a need and we communicate it doesn't mean that it's going to be met. And it also doesn't mean it's going to be met with, um, acceptance. And so I think it's important while we're practicing to really ask yourself whether or not this is a need, a true need, mm -hmm. or whether or not this is a desire. So an example of this would, would include, a need is I need you to come to the party with me tonight. And I have totally said that to my partner before, which has not gone well versus a desire is, Hey, I love spending time with you in social settings. And it would be so awesome if you could join me at this party tonight. Way mm -hmm. two different feelings, like way different feelings. Um, in the second one, you're leaving room for that person to say yes or no to the activity. And we as trainers talk a lot about giving canines choice and people feel and respond really well when they have a choice in the matter as well. So, um, a canine example of this, that that I often notice is walking on leash. So lots of clients will say, I need my dog to walk next to me at all times versus a desire. I would love for my dog to check in with me on walks so we can build our connection in outdoor spaces, right? Mm -hmm. There is, um, there's a stiffness with the need versus there's a lot of room and space in, in how we're presenting the desire. I don't know if that's just me or if Kayla, you agree with that. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think one of the things that you've done really well in these examples is you've shown not just not just switch or maybe this is part of switching from a need to desire, but when you're rephrasing these desires, you're saying I would like or I would love, which I'm is the the desire, and then you're making it into a specific behavior and then you're adding the why. And I think that's really really mm -hmm. important when we're trying to convince yeah. or ask someone to do something for us um I think there's a really big difference between like, hey, I need you to clean up the dishes right now to like, mm -hmm. hey, I was about to cook soup and the pot that you used for soup last night is still in the sink. Mm -hmm. Would you mind doing the dishes now? Um, and that that's one that Andrew and I are still working on all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it goes over so much better in our relationship when I say why mm -hmm. I would like something done in a timely manner um, in particular. Um, yeah. And it also, it kind of ties into finding that dog that suits your needs. So when I was looking for a dog, I owned a parrot and I knew that I truly needed a dog that was not going to try to eat my parrot. Mm -hmm. Um, I also knew that I wanted a dog with pointy ears. 
I knew that I wanted a dog that was going to enjoy training and that was going to keep up with me. And those, and there was kind of this spectrum of wants where it kind of ranged from like, okay, this is an absolute must have. This dog must not eat my parrot. That is a non-negotiable. Yeah. And then there was yeah. the, the there was the the strong desires. I really, really wanted a dog that was going to keep up with me on hikes, that was going to love training, and it was going to keep up with the the things that I wanted a dog for. Um, mm-hmm. But those are also things that I recognize that I w- I would not get rid of a dog if they were unable to meet those. That's, you know, if Farley something mm-hmm. terrible happened to him, um, and he was no longer able to run or train, I wouldn't get rid of him. But if I still had my parrot right now and he tried to eat my parrot, then I would have started having a really, okay, one of you guys has to go. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the things that really didn't matter. You know, I wanted a dog with pointy ears. I wanted a dog with a curly tail. I wanted a girl dog. And I didn't get any of those three things. And mm-hmm. I'm fine with that for all three of those. And there's a spectrum of needs and wants that I think is important to recognize, especially when you're yeah. looking at a potential dog. Um yeah. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the idea of not projecting kind of humanity onto your dog and not anthropomorphizing too mm-hmm. much and loving and respecting your dog for being a dog. Um, I was just doing a survey um, yesterday where they were asking me to agree or disagree on like a Likert scale of I consider my dog part of the family. My dog is my best friend. My dog is my closest confidant. Mm-hmm. I do everything with my dog, all these different things. And I, I was actually surprised as I was going through this, how many of the statements I was finding myself disagreeing with. And I think that's because, I mean, my dog is my world. I adore him, but I don't consider him my best friend. He's not a human. He doesn't want to talk politics to me. He can't help me plan out mm-hmm. a tough conversation with my sister. And I need to recognize that I do have some social needs. I'm extremely extroverted and I, you know, I love talking politics and Barley can't do that for me. Um, And I think it's Mm -hmm. really, really important for us to realize that not just our dogs, but a single person really can't be meet all of your needs and desires. It's just not good for a relationship to expect all of that from one person or one dog. Yeah. And there's, there's some really good information. There's a relationship, uh, therapist, her name is Esther Perel. And she talks about, uh, her book is mating in captivity. And she talks about, um, how it takes a village to support a relationship and how in our, like I mentioned earlier, our individual society and culture, we, just put so much expectation on one individual, whether that is our dog or whether that is, um, our friend or family or whatnot. So, um, she's got some really good information on how to identify your needs, but then also to understand how you can fulfill those, not necessarily by just one individual. So, yeah. Yeah. So the next one is developing and maintaining trust. And, um, this is, this is an, uh, I mean, all of these concepts are pretty interesting because they can all be, um, measured in different ways because they mean different things to, to, to everybody. But, um, and, and trust is no different. It's hard to quantify since it means a lot of things to many people. More recently, I heard Dr. Susan Friedman talk about trust and the way that she was defining it in canines is if they would approach the person or not. And I thought that was just so simple. Um, and it, it led me to think about, um, a recent client, um, they have two Australian shepherds and the, the, I started working with them when the Aussie was, um, a puppy. So cute. 
my goodness. And he's now 14 months old. And they recently contacted me because he was exhibiting some new behavior. And he appears to be fearful of the car, the leash and the harness when mom walks towards the front door. And most especially when she cues him, it's time to go outside or you want to leave the house or you want to go to daycare. The moment she says any of that, the dog dashes under the bed and hides there. And, um, I got to witness, witness it firsthand. And it was really, really sad. I mean, if we were picking up the harness, he was, he was somewhat fearful. If we walked towards the front door, it didn't always mean that we were going to go outside. So he was just alert and watching where we, we would go. But the moment she verbally cued him and asked him if he wanted to go outside, he would dash under the bed. Um, so after several questions and trying different scenarios, and we realized that it actually is a fear of the car. So all of those things predict that he will eventually go into the car. So she cues him, then, then she lures him out or pulls him out. Then she leashes him up and she takes him to the car and he's always had a slight fear of the car. And now it's just actually, um, getting worse. Yeah. So, um, during the training session, I also watched my clients interactions with the dog and noticed that the dog would very, very mildly, he would flinch or he would avoid approaching her even out of this particular context. So even when we weren't doing any experiments or trying to understand what his triggers were surrounding the leash and the door and the car, just her general interactions with him, it seemed to make him a little bit nervous and he would submissive grin a few times. And so I brought this up to her because I have a significant relationship with her and, and, and she can handle it. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm noticing this what are your thoughts about this? And she, and she said, Oh yeah, he doesn't trust me. And so I asked her to explain what she meant by that. And she said, yeah, he'll, he'll just avoid me. It's almost as if I did something terrible to him. You know, I don't yell at him. I don't hit him. I don't do all of these things, but it's, he's just avoiding me, um, in certain scenarios. And so we, we sort of unpack this a bit and it sounds like she had been pushing him over thresholds in certain circumstances, especially the ones surrounding the car, getting the harness on, getting him out from under the bed. And I don't fault her for that because like on some of the times she had to go to work, she had to get him to daycare. I mean, here she is. She's just trying to do right by this dog, leashing him up for, to take him for walks, getting him in the car, take him to daycare, right? Like she's trying to give him all of these really positive experiences. However, each and every time she pushes him over emotional thresholds. Um, and so when we are doing that, if we're taking too much and we're pushing the dog over emotional threshold, we start to lose trust within that relationship. And that's what, what she's experiencing right now. So, um, so we as trainers love Dr. Susan Friedman's relationship trust account. So I'm going to let Kayla talk a little bit about that and how she might use it with her clients. Yeah. So I think the idea of a relationship trust account is very similar to a, a, a literal bank account. So, you know, every time you get paid, you're going to go ahead and put a little bit of money into your bank account. And then you've got a little bit set aside for next time your car breaks down or a rainy day or whatever. And you're going to be able to take it out when you need to. Um 
And the same goes for kind of a relationship trust account. So we need to be putting good stuff into that trust account with our dogs and then trying to limit those withdrawals that we have to make as far as, um, you know, in the case of this dog, it sounds like almost every single day something is happening to this dog that this dog perceives as really upsetting. Um, and that makes it really hard to kind of keep a positive balance in the trust account because what can this woman be doing to help put enough into her her dog's trust account so that even though she takes him to daycare and he doesn't like the car every day, um, he's going to continue being okay with that and being being the the trust account can have that positive balance. Um, and so that kind of helps us think about it in two different ways. We need to try to figure out how to reduce the negative things that need to happen because they will have to happen. Um, I am embarrassed to say that I'm one of the trainers out there who does not have a dog who loves nail trims. Um, Barley, it's he screams. Um, and I've trimmed his nails once in the two years that I've owned him because he's so active. Um, and I actually, it's like one of my New Year's resolutions to work on that. But if I if I had a dog who really, really hated nail trims and I needed to trim his nails every three weeks, um, I could see him starting pretty quickly to start avoiding me. Um, and what I can do is I can start teaching him that nail trims are not that big of a deal and that I'm he that's really not a thing to scream and flail and thrash around for. Um, uh, it's funny because he's not usually super dramatic, but the nail trimmers are just it's a nightmare. Um yeah, so, and really what I'm kind of getting at with this nail trim thing is the idea that if you've got something that is really upsetting to your dog, if you can reduce it and make it less stressful, that's great. If you can reduce how often it's happening, that's great. So can this dog just honestly be put in the car less often? Um, and what can we do to continue building up that trust account? So the the two times that I've had to trim Barley's nails so far... Um, both of those have ended up not being catastrophic to our relationship because I spend so much time putting really, really good stuff in um, and trying to make sure that every other time that I approach him and I handle his paws um, and even, you know, like I catch him by the collar, it's all for good stuff um, so that the occasional time where I catch him by the collar because he's about to run out into the street or I handle his paws because I've got to pull a giant cactus spine out or whatever. It's not a big deal to him because, you know, the other 99 times it's been fine. And I think um, the Gottman Marriage Institute, I believe, also talks about bank accounts. And the big thing they say is a really, really big predictor of relationship success is that you need to have at least five goods to one bad in a relationship. And the higher that the ratio, that better. So they even say to try to aim for 20 good things to relate to one bad thing. And of course, there's a little bit of a question of like, okay, how good versus how bad? I don't know if there's like good points where like, you know, doing the dishes is maybe only one good point versus um, doing my tax return for me. It's tax season right now would be like 20 good points. But um, now we're starting to get complicated. But I think that's a really important concept to kind of bring in here. And it does really, really strongly relate with that Um the, the trust account concept that Dr. Friesman brings up so much with our dogs. Yeah. And I think people, um, they take for granted. I, I know I really paid attention to this and wrote a blog post about it. When my dog, when he had surgery, he had like a bunch of lipomas cut out. Um, and he had a dental and then he had a mass cell tumor removed. I mean, it was a pretty intense Look a little bit like, Fra like Frankenstein. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I really appreciated 
how great he was surrounding being handled. I mean, he really handled Mm -hmm. my touching and cleaning and moving and the cone and all of that so much that it really got me thinking about how we can sometimes take that for granted. And we push and push and push and push and push until then the dog reacts Mm -hmm. and then it's the dog's fault. And so I think it's, um, it is, it's really important. Like you were saying about Barley's, um, pause is like you were making other experiences good, even when he uh, didn't react poorly. Like you were proactively trying to say, Hey, listen, when I grab your paws and I went, when I pull a pricker out, it's not, it's not the end of the world. It might predict mm-hmm. hot dogs rain from the sky. Um, so that we're, we're really adding the money mm-hmm. into the bank account. And I think that that's really important. Cause there are going to be times where you do have to take stuff out of that yeah. bank account. I, I, I just, if if anyone has figured out how to avoid that, I would love to hear about it. But, you know, I <laughs> yeah. Barley had to get a, a jugular um, blood draw done a couple months ago. And it's just like there's no I did not I had not considered preparing him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had to happen to get yeah. him. You know, he had to clear some blood planet panels to go into Mexico three days later. And, yeah. you know, I guess you could argue that I could have delayed my my trip, but. You know, you're going to have to take out of that trust account eventually. So really focusing on building it up um, and making it making it nice and deep is really, really important. Yeah. So, Marissa, what are some other ways that we can build trust with our dogs and kind of put stuff into that trust account? Yeah. So we, we talked about a few examples between Kayla and I, uh, I think one of the biggest ones is reading your canine's body language. So, uh, not necessarily projecting your agenda onto the dog, but making sure that we're reading what they're communicating and becoming experts in that, in that area, because that is their only form of communication. And we need to be respecting that. And we, we talked a little bit about that Mm -hmm. in, in part one. Um, and then Another way is saying no and being an advocate for your dog. So for example, uh, many people will say, oh, can my dog say hello to your dog? And lots of times I will say no. And when I don't do it, I I like beat myself up about it because sometimes it might go poorly. Um, You know, I I really want to protect Sully's social canine interactions when on leash. And, um, lots of times I'll let him say hello off leash, or I'll either just drop the leash. So he doesn't have Mm -hmm. any sort of tension. Um, but you know, if I'm noticing that the other dog does not want to say hello to Sully, but it's the, the, it's the owner that's asking for their dog. I might say, no, thanks. We're in training or something like that. So that I am, I'm standing Mm -hmm. in as an advocate for Sully and protecting him from having possible negative interactions. Um, and then lastly, I mean, other ways to build trust are the other five relationship building principles. So, um, being curious was our first one in part one and, and less assumptive. So making sure that we're asking questions about our canines versus, um, assuming that, assuming the worst and and that they're out to get us. Uh, number two is accepting all parts of your canine, even when it's hard. Uh, number three would be compassionately communicating. So looking at your dog through a positive lens instead of the negative story that you might be holding. Number four, support and co-create. We just talked a ton about that. So meeting each other halfway. And lastly, our final principle that we're going to talk about after a message from our sponsors, and that is celebration. (laughs) 
This episode was sponsored by Canine of Mine, an online dog care resource that aims to provide owners with all the info that they need to be better pet parents. Canine of Mine has a ton of great resources from adoption guides and dog food recommendations to breed profiles and training tips. And a lot of those training tips are actually written by yours truly, Kayla. I actually worked on the dog adoption guide and it's pretty awesome and it actually relates to what we've been talking about today in this episode as far as figuring out what you need, what you really want, and what are kind of bonus points for your potential dog. And it includes a downloadable spreadsheet that is the literal um, spreadsheet that I used when I was looking through dogs and trying to find Barley. Um, And Barley scored 99 out of 100 on it, I think. And, um, you know, in my opinion, he's perfect. Um, And it gives you a guide to creating your own um, kind of score sheet for figuring out what you want, what you need in a dog, and how to find a dog that meets your needs um, and your desires that way. So Canine Mind also focuses on a ton of other really common frequently asked questions for dog owners, ranging from what to do when your dog eats a diaper to what kind of dog is best for owners who love running marathons. Canine of Mind is a fantastic resource for any dog owner looking to take better care of their canine, and you can check them out at canineofmind.com, which is spelled with the letter K and number nine of mine.com. All right, so we are back and let's talk about our last concept of these six um, relationship building concepts with you and your dog. Yeah, so the last one is celebration. And this is an interesting one because most people, I think our, our culture does not do a great job of celebrating, especially celebrating the small wins and paying attention to Uh, little steps along the way. We're always very focused on the final goal. And that's really challenging, especially in in dog training, because most people do not understand how many steps are involved to train specific behaviors that they really want um, and and how much it takes to actually generalize these behaviors from one context to another. So for example, a recall inside versus a recall outdoors off-leash when other dogs are present is very much a PhD level. And so it's important for uh, pet parents to really celebrate all the steps involved along the way, such as uh, coming when called in the backyard or coming when called while going for walks, uh, coming when called in a field where no one else is around from 20 feet away. So um, I try to help folks celebrate their dogs more. And I do this by starting off some sessions, or I used to do this a lot when I was teaching classes where I would say, we're going to start off, um, this week with a bunch of brags and a brag is anything awesome that your dog did. I didn't care if it was, uh, you know, your dog did a 20 minute downstay. It wasn't, it didn't have to be like that. It could have been like my dog solicited attention (laughs) from me and we cuddled for 20 minutes. Right. So, um, it was, so interesting. Cause every time I did this, I would start with folks around the room. So I said, okay, we're going to start off this week with brags. And it was like crickets, like nobody would provide a brag. And then maybe some brave soul might raise their hand and be like, Oh, you know, I think the dog, you know, my dog is starting to learn down, but he still doesn't know it on verbal cue. And like, they would, they would quickly switch and like slam the dog. And and I would always try to refocus them or like bring them back to the brag. I'm like, Oh, wait, say more about 
he's starting to understand the concept of lying down. Mm -hmm. What did you experience this week to really understand that? And, um, I think it's, it's celebration, bragging about yourself, receiving feedback is, is, I believe a tricky thing for our culture in general, um, especially for women receiving compliments and, or, or, or talking about ourselves in in that way, It, it can be perceived as as bragging in, in a, in a negative way, or, or we're too boastful or I'm too big for myself. And so I really try to help folks focus on the positive and I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone for this. We don't really have a lot of places to rehearse celebrating, being grateful, noticing the positive and then communicating it out loud. Mm -hmm. So this is, it's obviously going to be a skill that's not only helpful in our canine relationships, but also our human relationships. Um, it's, it's important for us to notice the positive in others and also the positive in our, in ourselves. Um, and it's, it's a great opportunity Mm -hmm. to provide feedback to people to make them feel good, but then to also let them know that like they're on track. Um, so for example, how would my partner know if he was offering me the right things. If I never gave him feedback and if I never celebrated him or clicked and treated him to let him know that he's on uh-huh. on the right path. So, um, Kayla, any thoughts about celebration in your life, in your relationship with barley yeah. clients, all that. I think one of like what you hit on as far as making sure that you're celebrating approximations, which I think is the Dr. Friedman quote as well. Totally. Um, uh, is really, really important because I think often kind of in our culture, it feels like we should only celebrate and brag when we have landed on the moon. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really, really hard for us to recognize that there are little things that we can celebrate and that we should celebrate and that um, make us more likely to land on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, great point. I love that. Because if like if your dog doesn't know, that is so so awesome and he is the best dog for coming when you called from the backyard you know like you let him out for potty at night and then Mm -hmm. you call him back and he comes back and if he doesn't know that he's awesome for doing that why on earth would he be awesome for coming to you at the dog park yeah um and it's it's funny too because there's all these little things and i think it's easier when someone else says it at first um in a lot of ways, and that's something that I think we can all do to help each other out, because it might still be hard to celebrate your own successes or your dog's success, but if you can help celebrate other people's mm-hmm. and really be like, oh, wow, that is so awesome, or even if, depending on your friend, um, even calling them out on it, some people might actually find that aversive to be called mm-hmm. out and celebrated in a public manner, so that's something important to keep in mind, but other people will really appreciate that. Um And it just comes back, like, I have a a teeny tiny example of this that still makes my heart feel so warm. And I was in to see the vet last July, I think. Mm -hmm. Marley was having some hip issues, some hip flexor problems. Um, We were worried it was might be his iliopsoas. And we went in. And as the vet's kind of watching him move around the um, the exam room, Barley got the, the leash in between his legs. And without looking at it, he just kind of casually lifted his leg up and put it back down so that he was untangled. And the vet was like, wow, that's really good hind end awareness. Mm-hmm. And it was this little celebration that this vet, and I, I don't remember his name, some amazing vet in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that still makes me so excited to tell that story. Yeah. And that's one of those little things that we can do. Because if it's hard for you to celebrate yourself or celebrate your own dog, mm-hmm. celebrate someone else's and celebrate their dog. Because um, yep. it can really make a huge impact. I'm sure that vet, he probably doesn't remember seeing Barley at all, let alone making that comment. But mm-hmm. it was so exciting for me that the vet was like, wow, that's really cool that he he was able to lift his leg up and untangle himself out of that leash without looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it- it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, we can all celebrate those stuff. Yeah, I think um, I do this often with my clients to make sure that we are balancing out the celebration with the concerns. Because obviously we are dog trainers and we are there to support mm-hmm. a concern. And I don't, I don't want to belittle that, but I also like to steer folks to to notice when we are like chipping away at that concern in a positive way, because lots of times it can feel very overwhelming for them that it's not fixed right away. And that's just not, unfortunately how dog training works. Um, and (laughs) not unfortunately to us, but to most clients, that is the unfortunate part. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's, it's really important to help clients see and notice the positive and celebrate that. So whether that is, I think it's important for us to help clients see and notice and celebrate the positive choices that their dogs are making, not only all the time, but also in the behavior modification plan that trainers are helping the clients mm-hmm. walk through. So, so yeah, it's a, yeah, it, I've been really, really big on, um, on journals and record keeping lately, partially for that reason. I've got a couple separation anxiety clients right now, and I've been really harping on the journal keeping for that because yeah. it's so hard to see that it's a win that your dog went from 30 seconds of being alone leading to panic to now he can be alone for five minutes because that still doesn't mean you can go out to dinner. It still feels bad to the owner, but that, what is that? Like that's a 10 X improvement. Totally. Um, That's huge. And journaling is one of the ways that can really help that. And just to bring it back before we start wrapping it up here as well, I think all of this comes back to the, um, smart times 50 that we've talked about multiple times on this train on this podcast because one of the things that smart times 50 does for those of you who don't remember is you count up 50 pieces of kibble and every time you notice your dog doing something that you like you give them a piece of kibble throughout the day and it can be super small stuff like literally like your dog is lying at your feet while you're working um he sighs what or and walks away from the cat instead of chasing the cat Mm -hmm. little teeny tiny things that it really helps us remember to celebrate those little things and learn to see them because it's so easy for us to get caught up in only seeing the things that we don't like and then we're trying to correct them and then we're thinking about punishment and it just goes and goes and goes and goes versus if we're constantly trying to think of what can we celebrate and what can we what can we reinforce? We can, we're going to see more of that. And your dog only can be behaving in one way at a given time. So if we're increasing the good behaviors, those bad behaviors are going to decrease anyway. Mm-hmm. They have to. Yep. Because there's only so much time and your dog only has so many limbs and so many vocal cords and <laughs> <laughs> he can't, he, it might feel like it sometimes, <laughs> but your dog can't be doing everything at once. Exactly. <laughs> so to recap, What we discussed today was three of the six relationship building concepts that Marissa outlined in her book. And the three that we talked about today were to support and co-create with your dog, to develop and maintain trust, and to celebrate. Um, And I said with your dog, but really this is all about relationships with yourself, relationships with others, relationships um, with 
with anything, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, Marissa, if listeners want to learn more about your book, where can they find it? Yeah, so they can visit my website, pauseandreward.com forward slash human canine behavior connection. Um, and it can also be found on Amazon. In addition to my book, I have a very new and exciting offer to announce. If you've listened to these podcasts and you want more of this content in order to strengthen the training and relationship with your dog, I want to personally invite you to an innovative event called Rediscovering Your Best Friend, A New Approach to Dogs in Life. This is going to be a six-week intensive where I will be leading you through live training sessions, videos, and a members-only Facebook community. This course is designed to help you unravel your dog's behavior, cultivate deeper connection with your dog, and then develop self-awareness regarding all relationships. If you're interested, feel free to visit pauseandreward.com forward slash your best friend for more information. The course launches soon, April 9th to be exact. So don't miss it. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Kayla Fratt and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find me online at journeydogtraining.com. You can also find my YouTube channel and Facebook page under Journey Dog Training. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder. You can find me online at pauseandreward.com. So before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us. We'd love to hear you at hello at canineconvos.com. That's canine all spelled out. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. And lastly, our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. <laughs>